0: This weekend, and it's been a joy to serve with you and to get to do some ministry with you and, and to those of you who, who have kids who are in the student ministry, I want to say thank you to you as well. Uh, as a parent of, of four kids myself, I know it, it makes a difference. It matters. I care who's ministering to my kids and so thank you for your trust uh, to allow me to come out here and to get a chance to minister with your kids and to get a chance to open the word with you all this morning. Um, you 've already heard our text, our passage of Scripture this morning, James chapter 3 verses 13 through eighteen we 've spent all our time together um, Friday night and Saturday working through the Book of James, looking at some different sections from the book of James and james 's theme, as many of you I 'm sure are aware of, has a lot to do with genuine faith. Uh, what does it look like if someone actually believes God? Uh, what is the impact on someone 's life? If they truly know Jesus Christ, and they've experienced the transformation of the gospel. And so James is concerned to pastor his people well. His people have been scattered by persecution. They're facing opposition from without. They're also facing problems from within, uh, within their own assembly and from within their own hearts. And so James seeks to pastor them. And he challenges them again and again. And he asks them this question, are you really who you think you are? Are you really who you claim to be? Does your life match your profession? Or is there some sort of disconnect between what you say you are, what you say you believe, what you say you love, and how you actually live? James is on a mission to destroy self-deception. And as a, a pastor, he cares about his people and he wants to warn them and warn us against a potentially fatal kind of hypocrisy. In chapter 2, he famously contrasts dead faith with living faith. And here in chapter 3, he contrasts the wisdom from above with the wisdom from below. This corrupt, worldly, counterfeit kind of wisdom. I think faith and wisdom are actually very closely related. Some would even argue that wisdom is is a key theme in the book of James. Back in chapter 1, if you are familiar with this book... Uh, James points out that genuine faith recognizes that we need wisdom. And when we realize that need, we ask God for it. We seek it. We pursue it. James 1 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Wisdom is essential. We need it and it comes from God. We need the wisdom God gives, not just so that we can survive trials, like we see in chapter one, not just so that we can make decisions. That's probably what prompts most of us to pray for wisdom. I need to know what to do when I go to that meeting next week. I I need to know if we should put an offer on this house or not. I need to know whether I should take this job or whether I should go to this school or how we should parent this child and face these challenges. We often recognize we need wisdom to make decisions, But we also need to pursue wisdom because spiritual maturity requires and includes wisdom. Growing in wisdom as followers of Jesus is a matter of our sanctification. It's a matter of our spiritual maturity. So that we become, like chapter 1 verse 4 says, whole and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants us to have no lack of true spiritual wisdom. God's will is that we be conformed to the image of Christ who is, according to 1 Corinthians chapter one, the wisdom of God. Paul tells the Colossian believers that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So for us to grow in Christ's Christlikeness, for us to follow Jesus requires that we be growing in and cultivating true spiritual wisdom. You can think about it this way. There's no such thing as a fool who is spiritually mature. It's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. And on the flip side, anyone who is spiritually mature, anyone who is truly Christ-like will possess a, a unique kind of wisdom that reflects the very wisdom of God. So wisdom is a necessary part of pleasing God and growing in our faith and becoming like Jesus. And James's point in this text is that just like genuine faith produces good works, which we see in chapter two, true wisdom is evidenced by good conduct. And in order to help us understand the nature of this wisdom so that we can get it right, so that we know what it looks like, James gives us two key insights that I wanna share with you this morning. The first is found in verses 13 through 16, and it's this. Like faith, wisdom can be claimed but not possessed. Just like some people may claim to have faith, But they have no works and their faith is dead and it cannot save. Some people may claim to be wise, but they do not possess true wisdom. James starts with this question. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. We all like to think of ourselves as wise, don't we? I don't know if any of you, if I asked you to raise your hand, would volunteer and say, I think I'm one of the more foolish people in this church. No, we we tend to be pretty impressed with our own opinions. We tend to think that our judgments are a little more insightful than, than other people's judgments. We put a lot of stock in our own thoughts, our own conclusions. But James points out to us this important truth that there's a big difference between thinking that you are wise and actually being wise. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. James wants to shake us out of any delusions of false wisdom that we may have. So he brings up this challenge. You claim to be wise? You think you are wise? Then prove it. Put your money where your mouth is. This is the challenge that he issues in verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show. His works in the meekness of wisdom. It sounds an awful lot like the challenge in chapter two. Show me your faith without your works, if you can, if such a thing is possible. Like faith, wisdom should be evident in the way we live. And James says that good conduct is the litmus test for true wisdom. Claiming to be, to be wise doesn't mean you are, it must be Proven. And when James issues this challenge, when he calls us to demonstrate wisdom through our conduct, he's indicating that there is more to being wise than just being informed. James is assessing wisdom not in intellectual terms alone. It's not just about how much you know, how much knowledge you possess. He assesses wisdom in practical terms. He wants to know how do you live your life? Can you skillfully apply the knowledge that you claim to have, the insights that you say you possess? He wants to know how we live. James points out that what proves wisdom is good conduct that is marked by a spirit of meekness. He says this, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom or in the gentleness of wisdom. I think, Rob, you were reading from New American Standard. I have the ESV, I'm sorry. So if some of you guys have NASB, bear with me. But he wants to see this spirit of meekness and gentleness. He says that's, that's the flavor, that's the spirit, that's the manner in which this wisdom will be demonstrated. Meekness has already been talked about back in chapter one as the essential posture of the heart that we must have in receiving God's word. Chapter one, verse 21, we're admonished to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, same word, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Meekness is a, a humble awareness of God that causes us to conduct ourselves with humility towards God and also humility towards other people. It has this idea of self control. And gentleness it 's a christ like virtue it 's a christ like virtue that we 're called to cultivate meekness is a fruit of the spirit, according to Galatians five that shows we 're relying on divine power as we live our lives and it 's a sign of maturity it 's a sign of wisdom. James says that this mindset should characterize the good conduct of the wise person, but before he describes in further detail the good conduct that should flow from true wisdom. James first describes for us what true wisdom doesn't look like. And this is helpful. He's going to give us a list. It's not this, it's that. So he dives into this negative description. And it's really helpful. And if what follows in the next few verses, verses 14, 15, 16, if what follows in this negative description describes you, the James insists you are not wise. No matter what you may think of yourself or claim to be. Verses 14 and 15, we find that sinful motives are incompatible with true wisdom. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 3, James deals with the danger of sinful speech. It's probably a passage you're familiar with. He talks about our words being like a spark that can light the whole forest on fire. Or like a bit that turns a horse's body. Or like a small little rudder that can steer a massive ship. In other words, our our speech has major impact. Don't we all know that? But because James is a good pastor, he's going to dig a little bit deeper and not just talk about our behavior. He's gonna get into the heart issues that often cause us to use our words as weapons. The, The sins in the heart that cause the spark that burns down the forest. First, he addresses this issue of bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. Some who claim to be wise are driven by jealousy. They want respect. They want recognition from other people that they feel like, they deserve. This person with this kind of a heart that is filled with bitter jealousy, they tend to see other people as competitors. They tend to see other people as threats to their personal success. This kind of person is impossibly suspicious. They are secretly resenting other people. James says, you claim to be wise, but is there bitter jealousy In your heart. To this, he adds this, this related issue of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. This is wanting influence. Desiring to be in a position of superiority. The person with this kind of heart sees other people as a means to an end. As resources to be used. Rather than as people to be served. A self promoter. Highly focused on self. Selfish ambition harbors a lust for personal advancement. This kind of person who claims to be wise but has this bitter jealousy and this selfish ambition in their hearts, they think of themselves as mature. They think of themselves as beyond and above you know, the common folk, everybody else. They don't need other people's counsel. And perhaps they think they deserve a place of influence. Maybe that's why James had to Tell them in chapter three, verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Seems like everybody was jostling at the front of the line. These attitudes, James says, are the opposite of meekness. There's no gentleness here. There's no care for others. There's no self-control. And therefore, this kind of sinful motive is incompatible with true wisdom. James says, if this describes you, do not boast. Do not boast. He says, if these sinful motives are in your heart, then you should not be claiming to be wise because you are seriously overestimating yourself. You think you're something that you're not. You're congratulating yourself for having this wisdom and you're actually missing it. Do not boast. And he says, do not lie. Do not be false to the truth. Claiming to be wise when you have these sins in your heart is not just boastful, it's a lie because it's incompatible with true wisdom. When you profess to be wise, but then you deny that claim by the way you live your life, by the spirit and the manner, the flavor with which you interact with other people, the motives that are in your heart. He says, you're living a contradiction. Don't do that. Don't be false to the truth. Don't be the fool who is always right in his own eyes. Not only are these sinful motives incompatible with true wisdom, but it even gets worse. In verse 15, we find that sinful motives actually show a demonic kind of wisdom. He says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In chapter 1, verse 5, James says that if we lack wisdom, we're supposed to ask God for it. God is the source of the wisdom that we need. He is the source of true wisdom. He gives it freely. He gives it generously. We are to seek it from him. Chapter 1, verse 17, we see that every good and perfect gift, which includes wisdom, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Wisdom is a gift from the Father. Wisdom is embodied by the Son, Jesus Christ, is the wisdom of God incarnate, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians chapter 2. Paul calls the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1, the spirit of wisdom. So James says the kind of wisdom that manifests selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, it is not from above. It is not from the triune God who is infinitely and perfectly wise. That kind of wisdom, if you can call it wisdom, is from below. It is earthly, not heavenly. It is unspiritual, coming from our flesh. It's carnal. And it is demonic. It's not godly. These evil attitudes were manifested by the chief demon in the original rebellion against God. Think about that story about... Satan he was cast down from heaven because of his bitter jealousy of God's position and God's glory his selfish ambition was to be like the most high bitter jealousy selfish ambition Satan then tempted Adam and Eve to follow suit to be jealous of the ability to know good and evil and to aspire to be like God and today, Satan is still trying to get mankind to conform to his devilish image rather than follow Jesus Christ. James 4.7 tells us we're supposed to resist the devil, not follow his example, not be like him. We're supposed to emulate Christ, not imitate Satan. But listen, when we harbor bitter jealousy in our hearts, when we demonstrate selfish ambition as we go throughout our lives, We're actually doing exactly that, imitating Satan. That's why James says this kind of wisdom is demonic. How do we know if we have these sinful motives in our heart? Well, it's actually pretty easy. Look at the fruit it produces, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Sinful motives produce wickedness. It brings disorder and not only is this kind of behavior incompatible and with true wisdom and demonic in nature, it, it actually has disastrous consequences. It bears bad fruit in families. When there is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that bears bad fruit. It causes disorder and all sorts of vile practices in our homes. It bears bad fruit in churches. It causes conflict, power struggles, Slander, suspicion, causes bad fruit in our workplaces, at your job, and in our communities, the places where we live. Slander and backbiting and gossip and manipulation, lies and critical speech and false accusations, it all leads to division, it leads to conflict, it leads to relational turmoil, and this is simply reaping what we sow. Corrupt actions spring from a corrupt heart and they bear corrupt fruit. James says, if you have true wisdom, you will show it by your good conduct in meekness. But this false wisdom produces not good conduct. It produces the opposite. It produces every vile practice. This wisdom does not honor God the Father. This wisdom does not reflect Jesus Christ. This wisdom is not evidence of the fruitful presence of the Holy Spirit. Such sinful motives and their corrupt fruits are not to be excused. They're not to be justified. It's not to be minimized. No, these are things that should be renounced and forsaken. If you claim to be wise, but you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, James says you are sadly overconfident in yourself. You are living a lie. You're displaying behavior that reflects the demons and not Jesus. And you're breeding disorder And wickedness, James emphatically declares this is not the wisdom that is from above. Like faith, it is possible to claim wisdom, but not actually possess it. James paints a stark portrait of this counterfeit wisdom for us here in these verses. But then he goes on to tell us what true wisdom does look like. He shows us the, the positive description in verses 17 through 18. And we find this second insight that just like faith, true wisdom leaves an unmistakable mark on the life of the believer. James gives us, gives us a list of virtues here. He says the wisdom from above, verse 17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He gives us this list of virtues and like many of the lists in the New Testament, it's not intended to be an exhaustive list. It's a representative list. In contrast to the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this is what the wisdom from above looks like. And it looks a lot like Jesus. Wisdom will change you to be more like Christ. We don't see the name of Jesus in this list, but every one of these qualities was perfectly demonstrated by our Savior, by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh and came to earth to reveal to us God's glory, to fulfill God's law, to die in our place as our substitute and rise again. We look to Christ to know who God is. We look to Christ to understand redemption. And we look to Christ to see what what. What humanity is meant to be. He starts off his list by saying the wisdom from above is first pure. It's pure. It's untainted by sinful desires. It is free from corrupt motives. There's no bitterness, no jealousy, no selfishness here. There's no secret agenda. There's no hint of vile practices. The wisdom from above is pure, it is peaceable. The wisdom from above does not cause or add to destructive conflict. The person who has this kind of wisdom is not easily drawn into fights. It's not combative. Does not become antagonistic. Is not contentious, not argumentative. It's peaceable. The wisdom from above is peaceable. It is gentle. It does not lash out or demean or belittle other people can actually tell a lot about somebody by seeing how they engage in argument when they're right. Gentleness does not crush others with the truth, but shows kindness, gentleness. This is a mark not of weakness, not a mark of a a fearful person who's insecure. Rather, this kind of gentleness is actually a sign of strength. It's the mark of self-control and spiritual maturity. The person who's out of control, the person who vents all their thoughts and all their feelings, that's actually the person who's weak, who lacks the strength to control the self, to control the tongue. The harsh man who can't control his anger is actually the weak one. The sharp-tongued woman lacks self-control. But the mature are gentle, They have a love in the heart and and an ability to demonstrate self-control over their thoughts, their fleshly impulses, because they're submitted to the Spirit of Christ and they're being changed into the image of Christ. They're gentle. He goes on, the wisdom from above is open to reason. People who are truly wise with a godly kind of wisdom, they listen to others. They consider the input of others. They will hear the appeals of others. To be open to reason means you're not impossible to deal with. Nobody wants to be a jerk. But this is actually something that's spiritually important. You want to be open to reason. To be genuinely willing to receive input. This doesn't mean that the wise person always concedes. It doesn't mean you always give in. But it means there's a level of humility here to value the input of others and not assume that you already know everything there is to know. So why would I bother listening to someone else? Being open to reason shows humility not just towards other people but actually towards God because it recognizes that maybe God wants to to, to speak through one of his servants. Maybe I don't know everything there is to know. So you value the counsel and in the insight of others. Wisdom is open to reason. Wisdom is full of mercy. It means you don't run over people. You treat even your opponents with gentleness, with love, with compassion, with forgiveness. This mercy should flow from all of us who have received such mercy at the cross. Wisdom from above is full of good fruit. Full of good fruit. In contrast to breeding disorder and every vile practice. Wisdom from above is evidenced through good fruit. The imagery of fruitfulness is one we find all throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 1, it says that the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night He's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in every season. Fruitfulness happens when we're grounded in the word. Paul tells the Galatians that if they are filled with the spirit and submitted to the spirit, depending on the spirit, then they're going to live a fruitful life. He gives us this list of the fruit of the spirit. And to these two passages, James adds that those who possess the wisdom from above will be those who bear fruit. It's almost like being grounded in the word and submitted to the spirit as how you become wise. It's like all those are connected and it makes us fruitful Christians. This fruit is evidence of of spiritual life. It's evidence of spiritual health and it symbolizes an obedience to God that brings blessing to other people. It's a fruitful life. He continues, impartial and sincere. Wisdom, true wisdom, doesn't have hidden agendas. It's not cynical, it's not manipulative, it is fair and honest. All these descriptions really reflect the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. James is the half-brother of Jesus and though he didn't believe that his brother was really the Messiah until after the resurrection, the teaching of Jesus stuck with him and it's all throughout his little book. These virtues were not only taught by Jesus, but they were perfectly displayed in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom come down from above. Jesus is the one who lived a righteous life. As our representative, he fulfilled the law and this is more than just a historical truth. The fact that Jesus perfectly displayed these virtues, the fact that Jesus perfectly manifested true wisdom, that he loved perfectly, he served perfectly, he demonstrated perfect humility. That's more than just a historical truth. This is the best news ever for people like us who fall hopelessly short of God's ideal because none of us have ever lived this list out. None of us. The active obedience of Jesus Christ by God's grace is imputed to us, given to us. Jesus' track record is given to us through faith so that we are granted a right standing before God so that we can be justified in his sight as if we had never violated God's law and as if we had always kept all of these commands. That's what Jesus does for us. So Jesus lived a perfect life displaying these virtues first and foremost as our representative. He does it perfectly because we can't. But Jesus also lived this out as our example. He was pure, gentle, full of mercy. Friends, when we trust in Jesus, we not only receive his righteousness, but we commit to follow him and seek to imitate his righteousness to be conformed to his image this was God's plan for us since the beginning Romans 8 tells us those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers what James describes here in this list of virtues the people who possess genuine wisdom that's this is someone who truly knows God and is becoming like his son. And is filled with the power of his spirit. And it starts to look a lot like Jesus. But James not only describes what this wisdom is like, but also what it produces in verse 18. Look in verse 18. He says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Once again, we have a final contrast. The carnal earthly demonic wisdom results in wickedness. It results in chaos verse 16. But the wisdom from above shows or results in righteousness and it results in peace. These are two completely opposite outcomes. Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, it is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Wow. That's the mark of wisdom. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Next time you have to change your password for social media, just make it that whole verse. Just type the whole thing out with no spaces. That'd be a great thing for us to keep front and center in front of our minds. Proverbs 3.17 tells us, speaking of wisdom personified, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. A harvest of righteousness, James says, is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what wisdom leads to. Now, to be sure, I want to clarify, there is a fighter's ethic to the Christian life. There is. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. We fight against error. We fight against false doctrine. We wage war against our own indwelling sin. But the goal of any war is always peace, isn't it? And relationally with others, especially those that we share a roof with, especially those that we covenant together with in church membership, we are to pursue and promote peace. That's the mark of wisdom. That's what it leads to. Again, to quote Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Paul urges the Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This peace is established through love and forgiveness. It requires humility and grace. And listen, the God who has made peace with us through the cross now calls us to pursue and to protect peace with one another. And it's in this environment of peace That we have an opportunity to reap a harvest of righteousness. That's something each of us should desire for our families and, and for our churches. To reap a harvest of righteousness. All those energies that some people use to engage in personal battles. To advance their personal agenda. To cut down those opponents that they are jealous of. All the energies that some people use for fighting those personal battles. Those ought to be devoted to ministry to sharing the gospel, to edifying and building up believers, to serving Jesus Christ and his church. If we devote our energies to that, we will see a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, this harvest of righteousness is is not the righteousness that makes you acceptable before God. This is not talking about our, our salvation. That positional righteousness comes only through faith in Jesus Christ, And James believes that strongly. He tells us about Abraham um, in the last chapter and he said, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. James believes in justification through faith alone. That positional righteousness comes through Christ. But here in, in this passage, James is talking about practical righteousness. The practical righteousness of one who has already been accepted by God and is growing to live a righteous life. A life that looks like Jesus. And this fits the harvest analogy perfectly. That God desires for us to, to cultivate this kind of righteousness. Paul prays in Philippians 1. Says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Discernment related to wisdom there. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. True wisdom leads to peacemaking and righteous living. It leaves an unmistakable mark on the life of the believer. This text makes it very clear that if you are really wise, then you will show your wisdom. You will show it through good conduct in meekness, gentleness, This understanding of wisdom that James lays out has a lot of implications for us. I want to just think through maybe two different levels of that and just ask you, first of all, to personally evaluate your own life, evaluate your own heart. Do you handle being right in a spirit of meekness? Or are the disagreements that you find yourself in, whether it's in your home or in the church or in the workplace, in our communities, do you find those disagreements marked by bitterness? Do you find them marked by hostility? Are you the kind of person who is open to reason, that listens well? Are you receptive to the counsel of others? Or are you the kind of person who is self-sufficient, combative, antagonistic? Would those who know you best describe you as someone who's teachable? Or as someone who is arrogant and unreasonable? Do you find yourself becoming cynical? It's hard not to be cynical in the world we live in. Or are you sincere? Are you a gentle person or a harsh person? Do you show mercy or do you get angry? Is there a pattern of disorder and conflict in your life? Or are you a peacemaker? We need to look in the mirror and and see if there's part of our lives that God wants to change. Maybe you can just evaluate, maybe over the last year or two, how you've engaged in a variety of different contexts. You guys know there's been massive controversy around coronavirus, this pandemic, and everybody claims to be wise. Everybody thinks they know what the real explanation is. Brett's getting nervous because I'm talking about COVID. (laughs) You guys don't even know what I think about it, so I I can like say all kinds of stuff and, and punch everybody, right? Everybody claims to have this whole thing figured out. Maybe all of you know what Brett and the elders should have, how they should have handled it in terms of meeting and distancing and masking and all of that. How they should have engaged with Jackson County. Maybe you watch the news and there's all these people claiming to be wise. Maybe you have coworkers or neighbors or friends or family members and you've gotten sideways over this whole thing. Are you really wise? How have you engaged in that issue? Is it the wisdom from above that has marked your engagements regarding COVID? Or is it a wisdom that comes from below? Something we need to think about. Think about challenges you face in your church. Sometimes your elders will make decisions you don't like. Sometimes they'll even get some things wrong, believe it or not. Sometimes there will be disagreements within the body. Relational conflicts that you have with other people in this church. Do you engage those things with wisdom? Biblical wisdom? True wisdom that comes from above? Or are those interactions tainted by the wisdom from below, wisdom that is carnal and fleshly, that reveals a personal agenda and not Christ like humility? How do you handle theological disagreements? How do you handle it when when you're talking to someone about the truth of scripture and and you're convinced that you have it right and they have it wrong? You're convinced that you know the best way to apply the truth and they have a blind spot. Uh, What marks your discussion? Who is wise among you? James challenges you to put your money where your mouth is, to show it. Show your wisdom in the spirit of meekness through your good conduct. How would our marriages change if we took this construct of the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below and applied that to our marital disagreements? How do you handle it when your spouse sees things differently than you? How do you handle it when you and your spouse desire different outcomes and you're pulling in different directions? When you have competing concerns and you have to work through it? Meekness, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy. Does it lead to a harvest of righteousness when you work through those things? Or is there disorder, conflict, bad fruit? Listen, other people are going to sin against you and you can't avoid conflict, you can't. Conflict is unavoidable and there's even some conflict that is absolutely necessary. We see that in scripture. Just read the prophets in the Old Testament. Read the apostles in the New Testament. Of course, Jesus himself. They all model a willingness to contend for the faith and to proclaim a truth that offends people. And we must never back down from that, never. But if you are the common denominator in all the conflicts that surround you, if everything that you touch tends to burn down, then you need to hear God's word today. Perhaps you are seeing this morning a true reflection of your heart, and perhaps God is exposing bitterness, jealousy, selfish ambition. If so, then I want to urge you, do not walk away this morning without dealing with your sin, because it's not just about communication styles. This is about the heart. This is about the heart. It's about the heart from which flow the issues of life. Don't walk away this morning without dealing with those sins. Don't harden your heart. Rather confess, repent, and allow God to do the spiritual heart surgery necessary to deal with those sins. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you are wise when scripture diagnoses you as not being wise. Don't persist in being a fool. Not only should we sort of evaluate ourselves and look at our own hearts this morning, but I also want to just give you some counsel in terms of how we evaluate uh, other people, and not in a negative, critical, judgmental sense. I'm not trying to get you to start thinking about, all right, who else in this church really needs to hear this message today? I'm glad they were here. But rather, I'm talking about even looking more broadly out into our world. You see, there's a lot of people in our world who claim to be wise, and they are not, and they have platforms, and they promote their message, but their supposed wisdom is not from above. Listen, Christian, don't give those kinds of people the recognition that they do not deserve. Be careful not to allow them to influence you with their brand of wisdom. The minute you smell jealousy, the minute you sense selfish ambition or bitterness or arrogance, the minute that someone reveals themselves to be a ladder climber, a self-promoter, a self-anointed authority, you need to be very, very careful. Whether it's a preacher or whether it's a political pundit, whether, whether it's a business leader or a podcaster or some guy with a YouTube channel, they may have a lot of knowledge. They may know a lot of things. But if they fit the description that we see in verses 14 through 16, then their claim to wisdom is a lie. Proverbs 26:12 says, "Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him." Let me just urge you to be discerning with who you allow to to influence you because there's a lot of people out there who claim to be wise. But for many of them, the wisdom that they possess is not the wisdom from above. It's a different kind of wisdom altogether. Thanks to this text in James, we know what true wisdom looks like. True wisdom emulates Jesus and it brings peace. Any claimed wisdom that doesn't is a counterfeit. So don't allow that counterfeit wisdom any place in your heart or any influence over your life. James teaches us that wisdom is a priority. We need it. God gives it. Let's make sure the wisdom that we are cultivating is the true wisdom from above, the kind that makes us more and more like Jesus Christ and produces good fruit so that there is a harvest of righteousness in your homes and in this church and in this community. Let's pray.